Hey, what is going on, everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. For those who do not know, this is a podcast I do here at least monthly in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a video visual form here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, and it's also available on a couple of other video sites now as well, too. If you want to, simply look up Mr. Mario 2011 or Mod Chat, one word for each of them, on either Rumble or Odyssey, and they are also mirrored on there as well well. You can also, of course, take this around and listen to it wherever the hell you want to, audio only, like an actual podcast. Simply look up ModChat on your favorite podcasting app, host, site, or provider, and you should be able to find it. I know it's not available on all of them, but it's available on most of them. For what ModChat is here, this is essentially a show where I come on here at least once a month. I talk about some new things that I have found interesting, cool, neat, sometimes even breaking news at time, although this is not a new show by any means, but it is developments that I find interesting in the world of the video game console modding scene and just game console modding overall. So we typically have a whole slew of topics here that we can talk about, and this month is absolutely no exception. With that, let's go ahead and just get right into this episode here and start with What's going on in the world of modding? Alright, so starting off here with some awesome PSP news, and this here is an update to Baryon Sweeper. Now, for anyone who does not know, Baryon Sweeper, we're going to have to go back a little bit because I've covered this before, uh, but we're actually going to go back to the PSP with the Jig Kick and the Magic Memory Stick. Essentially what that was was a combination of a memory stick which was specially formatted in a certain way uh, with special files put on it as well too, combined with a jig kick or a Pandora's battery, which was a battery which was set to boot up a PSP into factory service mode, and from there, with the battery combined with the memory stick, you were then able to completely unbrick a PSP, even if it was fully bricked. So if you ran a piece of software, even if you went in and you deleted all the files from the flash and formatted them, you would hard brick your system, but you could use this magic memory stick and jig kick combination to revive the PSP. It worked on the 1000 model. It worked on many versions of the 2000 model. However, later on it was patched, so you couldn't run it on 3000 models, for example. Well, Baron Sweeper was pretty big because essentially Essentially, you would still need the Memory Stick Pro Duo formatted, you'd need to make your own Magic Memory Stick, but with Baryon Sweeper, you would essentially create your own battery. It was essentially a Jig Kick battery emulator, uh, where you would have to create the interface, like I'll even show it here, you would create the physical interface uh, between your computer and the battery terminals on the PSP itself, and from there, you'd be able to get back into factory service mode and revive these old PSPs. The great thing about Baryon Sweeper is that it works on many, many more models. So it's working on all the 1000 models, all the 2000 models, and we have it working on a few more models now. Now this has been updated as of May 2023, but the big thing here about this is that it's been updated to now support PSP models 04G, 07G, 09G, and 11G. Uh, we can see some more details from it in this post here, which we can check out from Zekoshow. And he says here, I'm excited to announce that due to the newly discovered EA read glitch, a glitch on EA read command that allows you to read full EA without destroying it, we have managed to retrieve both the EA from the 
PSP Slim 4G, 7G, 9G models as from the PSP Street 11G model, thus allowing full unbrick of these models. You can find the Baryon Sweeper code at the usual place, so link here. Uh, here is a disassembly of the EA read command right over here, and here is a list of all of the commands. So that's a really awesome development to see here, just even looking at the PSP dev wiki. Uh, if we check the certain models of it, we can just check here for the generation, and we could see, uh, yeah, the 04 is the 3000 model, the 07 and 09Gs are the later versions of the 3000 models, the 11G is for the street, uh, the only thing that seems to be missing right here is the PSP Go. Uh, but here at this point, if you have a Baryon Sweeper setup, you can unbrick any PSP 1000, 2000, 3000, and Street, which is fantastic to see. Now, Zeko Shao also made a video accompanying this, and this was really showing, you know, new keys that were found and such and information here. And he did say here at one point in the video that the only thing we're really waiting for right now is with the PSP Go, uh, we just just really need to figure out a way of getting the PSP Go into factory service mode. However, once a method is found to get the PSP Go into factory service mode, that can even be unbricked as well too. And when that day comes, that would be super awesome just because we can now say at that point that every single model of the PSP can be unbricked, which is absolutely fantastic to see. Uh, he did say here as well too, credits to Davey for the win, Wildcard, Sean Shablak for most of the glitch work that was really to get the keys that were needed, extra special thanks to Proxima for the reading of the code, to Nizaki for the 03G golden PSP used for test, and to Mina Raswaller for the service manual and guidance throughout the years. And he goes into some more detail over here, but of course over on the PS Dev wiki, there was also some PlayStation Vita development hardware that was found as well too. Uh, these aren't just like dev kits or test kits or something. These are actual pieces of hardware that were helped to like really made to actually develop the hardware itself. So it was hardware for the hardware, for lack of a better term. Uh, but he says here, credit where credit is due. Credit to Anonymous, Matthew LH, and Freakler for the card dumps. Special thanks to the Ape Discord group for the wonderful and sometimes stressing moments spent throwing ideas and dumping stuff. So real cool to see. And we can actually see right here, this is an example of it in a IUU001. This here was the development hardware that was found, and it says this is a factory service board used to repair PS Vita consoles. Uses UART CP. 2102 Silicon Labs translator. So super awesome to see overall. I did want to cover another PSP topic here from Freakler, and this is for Cheat Device Remastered, which you can see here is uh, something I've also covered here as well too briefly. Uh, so Cheat Device was really a cheating software that you could use for Grand Theft Auto, Liberty City Stories, and Vice City Stories on the PSP, and it did end up getting remastered, so to speak here. So super cool to see, and real quick for anyone who does not know, just reading the about the project, after over 15 years since the original original cheat device release. With this remastered version remake, actually, I recreated the whole project from ground up whenever I had some free time. It is one plugin for both stories games now, and compatible with almost all versions. Once in-game, just like the original, the menu can be opened and closed by pressing L plus up, 
And when saving your cheat preferences from the menu, a config file will be created, which automatically reloads everything the next time you start the game. But there really is so much more, so why don't you take a look for yourself? Happy cheating. And of course, it covers you know everything you need to do on uh, the PSP or Adrenaline, compatibility, and all that fun stuff. Well, the nice thing here is that as of the latest release, it's now gone open source. So there is version 1.0G called the open source release. Uh, the source code is in here we can see and uh, just taking a look at this some of the fixes they say here that they fixed the new line bug and user scripts better high memory layout detection uh, added the cheat untouchable freeze traffic cars drive on water mission selector added action buttons cheat impulse added another actions button cheat for jump with vehicle added an unfreeze option for pedestrians and vehicles touch cheats added an option to adjust player model of stock cheat for liberty city stories Added option to display free main memory, fixed a bug in the loading last touched pedestrian vehicle object position, added a time cycle editor thanks to Daniel X, removed the bigger legend box option, removed the disable advanced UI option, removed the show pedestrian stats when aimed at cheat, removed min max bounds for editors, and you can now use R plus up or down to fast scroll through the categories. Uh, there's also even more bug fixes and code cleaning for open sourcing. So super cool to see this overall, just something I thought would be uh, nice to show on here. Now I know it's odd that I'm referring to a quote tweet here. However, Wobbling Pixels did a good job of summarizing this here. Uh, this here is an announcement from Robert Newman, otherwise known as Rama PCSX2, of the new PS1 ODE here being the, it looks like the M station. This seems to be a prototype board of it, and this is supposed to be the X station successor. Now, talking about PS1 ODEs, because we talked about it last episode, there's a few on the market. There is the SIO, which the nice benefit of that is that you can retain the original optical drive, but then you have to do an install, you have to uh, play games from a SD card through the parallel port, so it is limited to certain versions of the system, plus the software is not really the best on there. Or, as I said there, the best option on the market right now is the X station. You could also use the mode, but it seems to be, the mode seems to be okay with it, uh, so it seems to be the best option on the market right now for the PS1 is the X station until this comes out, which in short, this here, the difference is that this is a solderless plug-and-play optical drive emulator. So it's six screws to open the console, unplug the old drive, plug in this instead, put it back together and play. And it supports all console revisions, including the PS1, which would be the, you know, like the PlayStation Slim, the PS1 Slim, the PS1, whatever you want to call it. So taking a look at the original tweet, Robert says, the crazy research experiment that started years ago is now getting real. Many thanks to XRider74 for the nice hardware. Physics model done, code based almost done, SIO port still work in progress soon. And yeah, this is what it looks like right here that just it'll be able to be mounted in. You'll just have to connect up the ribbon cables, it seems, from the motherboard and as opposed to connecting them to the laser assembly and the optical drive on here, I guess laser assembly, as opposed to connecting them there, you would connect them all up to the M station itself. Just some things that are questioned and answered here. So it looks like someone asked pretty amazing. Potentially, this could replace any optical drive in any console computer, correct? Is limited to CDs, or would it be possible to support other media like DVDs, aka PS2? Robert replied, Optical, yes. Any drive, well in theory, but in practice, 
and a tongue emoji here, and then other media, DVD, nope, but it can be a step to learning how to do that in the future. Another question was, so this is a PS1 ODE that can work on all versions of the console? Also, two more questions. Will it keep the disk drive attached to the console? Will it allow for SSD or HDD connections, or will it simply only be for SD cards? To which Robert replied, the one ideal storage medium for these kinds of projects, all aspects considered, is the SD card. There is USB now, so maybe we can do something with that, but count on micro SD. It is just the best for the job. And of course, you know, someone asked if this is a drop-in replacement, and he said, yep, that's the plan there. It was confirmed that PS1 support is going to be included, so yep, plan to run in all PSX consoles from the start, PS1 included. Asking if this will work for PCE Duo consoles, and Robert said, so the working principle is very universal, but different systems have different approaches, so that means cables and signals on those cables vary. We'll have to see what can be done to try and address this, potentially adapters and such. It just needs research equals time. Another thing to highlight here would be someone asking, okay, now what if I already have an X station? Any major advantage to ripping it out and putting this in? And this would be good for anybody who's wondering if they have an X station. And he actually replied saying, no real advantage. It would be a side grade. It does the same things at the core, which is to run CDs, but now it is able to be plugged into all console revisions and needs no soldering steps. Of course, this uses beefier hardware, so some things will be nicer on it. So super cool to see overall. I'll be honest, I've been holding off on upgrading my ODE, really switching it out, just because years ago I had bought the PSIO, I had installed it, I had used it, I had set it up, and then maybe within a year or two, the X station came out, and I just said, you know, I'm not really dying to get one of these, install it, swap it out, and all that, but really with how nice this thing is, and especially since this is a drop-in replacement, this will be absolutely fantastic for any PS1s that have a dead or dying laser assembly on there, uh, but on top of that, it would just be, th this is the better solution. The biggest thing with this is, well, two things. One, uh, the X station has really nice support, and two, it truly just has drag and drop functionality with the game. So you don't have to format them in a certain way, you don't have to do anything crazy. As long as you have them backed up, you can put them, I think, just raw on the SD card, or you can even just put them into folders, copy and paste them, and you're done. That is pretty much all you need to do to play your library of games. So uh, I'm definitely going to be eyeing this, and I'll probably pick up one of these and install it when I get this. So now we're going to be covering some original Xbox developments here, one of them being from A. Garmash, and this is for the Xbox Wireless Adapter Communication Protocol. Just looking at this here, this seems to be, well, actually we'll just read this first line, well, the first few here. Uh, this is a clean room reverse engineering project of the official Xbox MN740 wireless bridge, specifically how it interacts with the Xbox's dashboard. The original goal was to look for a juicy buffer overflow on the Xbox side, but since there weren't any, those results can still be used for educational purposes. So you have this right here just showing the, uh, well, the wireless connectivity here on the original Xbox where we have a network name, which uh, mode this is in, the device name here being a totally legit wireless adapter, and the firmware version, dude, trust me. So uh, there is already some reverse engineering going on here. Now the contents, this repo currently contains the following bits. A more 
or less working emulator of the wireless adapter, both with a real Xbox and XMU, an incomplete description of the communication protocol between the console and the wireless adapter, debug symbols for the xonline-.xpe version 185EAD00 in a form of Ghidra XML that I recreated, or should I say guessed, in the process. And there's some information here on how you can do this within a emulator. So this is super cool to see so far. I actually had to look this up because I was familiar with it, but this is actually a photo of how it looks right here. Just this little guy. Uh, it's actually smaller than I remember it, but yeah, if you have or have not seen one of these, it's actually a pretty cool looking device. So man, this is just, this is just lost on us. This is like, this was a device that was really designed for the original Xbox in mind in terms of the aesthetic and everything, but cool to see it be reverse engineered so far. Next up from friend of the show, the mod shop or element 18592, uh, we have a reverse engineering effort here. And I guess a re-release you can say of the Xenium black ice chip. Now it looks a little something like this. And this was a chip from the Xenium team that came out but what element did is he ended up uh, taking one of these reverse engineering it he was able to then uh, get it pressed up and everything and he was able to build these himself they seem to be working and they are open source and available over on github so if you want to manufacture one of these yourself uh, you can certainly download everything here uh, go through it all like let's look at some of the images so there's the uh, back of it at least well I guess the both of them here when they show up oh here we go all right and it looks like I would actually say both of these are clones uh, or or the left one's going to be the legitimate one we'll see here. But the logo itself, checking out the bottom of this. There we go. Oh, OK. Yep. Seeing it here. OK, so the left one, the white one was the original one here. Uh, so that's actually a really good comparison. Yeah, we could see the top of them here. We could see the bottom of them. There we go. So he did a fantastic job just taking a look at this from a glance here. You have access to the build of materials. So if you want to see what you'll need to build one of these, you do have the option to check this all out. And uh, also this component PNG. So actually, let me see if we can just take a better look at this. There we go. Kind of have it pop out. Uh, but it looks a little something like this. So he has clearly labeled where every component should go. This is a really good guide right here. This is a really good image. So awesome to see. However, going back to the original repo, we have this here saying uh, in the description, the Xenium Black Ice is a clone of the original Xenium Ice mod chip for the OG Xbox gaming console. It allows users to bypass security features and install custom firmware, enabling various modifications and enhancements to the console functionality. This repository contains the Gerber files and bill of materials required to manufacture the Xenium Black Ice PCB. Please note that the original board did not have reference designators, so the included components image should be referenced to determine component placement. The PCB thickness should be one millimeter. Wow, all right, so one millimeter. And uh, this is cool. He got a sponsor from PCB Way on this. So uh, they've sponsored, uh, you know, a video of mine. They're going to be sponsoring some other ones here too. Uh, good company. Like this episode's not sponsored by them, but I have good things to say about PCB Way. So cool that he got that here. And then uh, his email is available if you want to contact him with any questions. So overall, awesome project to see here. For our last original Xbox topic 
here, we're actually going to be taking a look at this video from Make Megahertz, which is the Stellar Enhanced Game Compatibility Showcase. So for anybody who does not know, Project Stellar is actually, well, once this lower third moves off screen, uh, it is this mod chip right over here that we can see here soon-ish hopefully. There we go. All right, so it's this giant chip right here, uh, which ended up releasing here pretty recently. I don't have my hands on one yet, and it's definitely one of those, I guess, much higher-end chips out right now. Uh, probably the most high-end one, just because it is quite expensive uh, with what it is, but it has a whole lot of features baked into it. It's still getting some updates that are coming out right now. It's also supposed to hook pretty seamlessly into the Xbox HD+. Plus. However, uh, this is something that was shown right here. So this here, we're looking at this motherboard. This is an original Xbox, which has been modified with an upgraded CPU to run at double the speed, being about a 1.4 gigahertz CPU, where the original Xbox CPU was running at half of that. Now, I'm just playing this here. As you can see, normally, there's no audio that's playing, but the game on screen here is Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And you can just see, if anybody's ever been familiar with Vice City, actually, this is a good look. So right at the beginning here, you could see uh, Tommy just runs out real fast. Uh, you can clearly see, if you've ever played this game before, the game is just running at too high of a frame right, right now. And this is it with the Stellar Enhanced Game Compatibility disabled right now. So if you take one of these games and you just pop it in here, uh, this is actually an issue that happened with consoles that had these upgraded CPUs. There were games such as this where... Uh, really, Vice City, really for lack of a better description here, it really just uses whatever CPU speed is available on the original Xbox. So it was designed for a 733 megahertz, I believe that's a speed. Uh, just rounding down, let's say it was a 700 megahertz CPU. It was designed for that, and it was pressed on disk, and it was working with that. So if you suddenly put it into an Xbox that has the capability of a 1.4 gigahertz CPU, it's going to run too fast. You can actually see this right here where this cutscene is running way too fast. And if you have the audio playing, uh, the audio is playing at a normal speed, but it is completely off sync just because the uh, the cutscene here is sped up. You can even see right there with the fan uh, in Ken's office, just it's, you know, it's way too fast here. So this is an issue with just playing some standard games on one of these upgraded systems. Well, it looks like Stellar has a enhanced, uh, well, I guess enhancement for this here. So we still have the same CPU, 1.4 gigahertz, but now as you can see with the enhancements enabled, uh, well, you're now able to play the game on your fancy upgraded original Xbox, which hopefully isn't heating up your entire room with it running at 1.4 gigahertz, uh, but you're now able to play it at the smooth original speed and frame rate that you were supposed to. I'm sure here you also get the nice benefit of the game actually running nicer than it did before, but this time around it's actually stable as opposed to just running at the maximum frame rate that the 1.4 gigahertz CPU can push. So you can see here this is like the normal, just there's the normal running speed right there, and then once we get into the cutscene, Let's see this all load. As you can see, Ken is not running around all over the place. And we can even get a look at the... Let's see if we can get a look at the fan. Well, I'm trying to get it. I guess it didn't go all the way there. But you can see at least with this showcase that 
this is a nice thing that was added on here. So cool to see for anybody who has one of these uh, upgraded CPUs, or even if you're just going to be getting into overclocking. With some further information here, he actually even states, this is Dustin from Make Megahertz saying, often called the holy grail of Xbox modding, CPU upgraded consoles have been around for over a decade. However, the CPU upgrade is only half the battle. The other half is getting games to run on the upgraded CPU. This is where Stellar OS comes in. Stellar OS includes a manner of enhancements to the Xbox kernel that greatly improve game compatibility on these systems. In the past, the only way to get games to run at these faster speeds on a CPU upgrade Xbox was to patch the game executables with very mixed results. Project Stellar takes a different approach. Instead of patching the game executables, Project Stellar handles the issues directly in the kernel. Project Stellar's approach has a number of advantages over patching the game executables. The first and primary advantage is that compatibility is improved for all games. This means that games that have never worked on a CPU upgrade at Xbox will now work. No more patching, video or audio starting, or crashing. Just load up your game and play. So again, for anybody who is rocking one of these upgraded CPU consoles, very awesome development to see here for Stellar. So unfortunately, we've got some bad news here, which is in regards to the Switch homebrew and modding scene. Now, I know this has gotten a whole lot of rounds, but this here is over from Wololo and is talking about Lockpick, RCM, and Fork repositories were taken down by a DMCA notice. Now, getting into this here, Lockpick, RCM, the popular Switch tool to dump your Nintendo Switch decryption keys, has, as of yesterday, so that'd be May 9th here, been taken down from GitHub, following a DMCA request dated last week, allegedly by Nintendo. This happens in the context of the new Zelda game release, and might be related to the keys being required for emulators to run Switch games. In the wake of this event, the developers of the Skyline Switch emulator for Android have announced they would stop working on their emulator. So, covering exactly what Lockpick RCM here is, they state that Lockpick RCM RCM is a tool for hacked Nintendo Switch consoles that allows users to dump their console's encryption decryption keys, including the console's unique keys. These keys are useful to decrypt, encrypt game backups, among other things. Grabbing these keys is also considered an essential step in installing custom firmware on the console, in particular as a safety measure. In some cases, these keys might be required to reinstall a Nintendo Switch from scratch, example in case of brick without a proper NAND backup. Now continued on, beyond this, the encryption keys can be used to transfer save files, for example, between two different hacked Nintendo Switch consoles, and other fun manipulations. Generally speaking, anything that requires decrypting some user console-specific content and use it with another console or user will probably be needing those keys. Arguably, owners of hacked consoles can use this to safely store DRM-less backups of their own games. More commonly though, these keys are used to run game backups in particular on Switch emulators. It goes without saying, but a lot of emulator users acquire these keys from other forks, friends or otherwise, in order to run their games. In other words, although Lockpick RCM itself, used by an individual who'd keep their own keys for themselves, is basically harmless to Nintendo's business, the legal aspect of it depends depends on your country, and I'm not a lawyer, so I won't speak to that. Sharing these keys to people who don't own a Nintendo Switch is a critical step for these people emulating the games potentially illegally. To restate, in order to play a Switch game on an emulator, you need a digital copy of the game, an emulator, and the keys. 
The game and the keys can be acquired illegally on some download sites. If you create your own dump of keys and game with your own console, whether that is legal or not is, again, depending on your country. I'm, I'm injecting myself here. I'm of the belief from what my understanding is, if you are doing this yourself, it's your own hardware, it's your own console that you're dumping from, it's your own game that you're dumping, that should be fine. However, yes, this is accurate. Even to state even so far, for example, because this even throws off some people, I know, for example, with making game backups, there's many people, for example, let's say you have an original PlayStation game and you don't have a disk drive kicking around anymore. A lot of people might just go onto the internet and download that version of the game. This here, I personally disagree with, but for the most part, even though I don't see anything morally wrong with that, because you do own the game yourself and you're just not ripping it yourself, even though you do own it, that is illegal right there, downloading that same copy of the game, the same data, even though you do own it from, you know, another source. It would be legal, however, to take your game, pop it into your disk drive, and back it up yourself, as long as you are the one who is using it. Wololo here states, however, again, I'm no lawyer, I do believe there are very legal use cases for a tool such as Lockpick RCM, but I think Nintendo don't care and will push against it when they see fit which happens to be now. Sharing the prod keys is clearly illegal in most countries, but Lockpick RCM itself is more of a gray area. It appears Nintendo has gone wide open with a DMCA request that principally targeted projects that provided the keys, but Lockpick RCM itself as well. And that is accurate from what I was observing. There were a lot of forks of Lockpick RCM and just other repositories, which people were uploading their own prod keys on there, which that is going to be wrong and that is going to impact projects. So it was forks of Lockpick. It was also just other repositories, as I said, but Lockpick RCM itself and even the original lockpick were taken down. Now, the new Zelda game, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, is mentioned here, and I have noticed that for sure. We've seen a big ramp up of activity related to takedowns and such, uh, because for anyone who does not know, the game is out now, uh, but the game was leaked about two weeks prior to its actual release date. Uh, so that's why we'd ended up seeing, of course, I'm sure there were takedowns of the game files themselves, uh, but also lockpick RCM was attacked here. That seems to be really the big tool that was attacked with all of this, uh, but also, of course, any videos of people who were uploading gameplay and such, any type of streams, uh, just really anything in regards to that. We've really seen a ramp up here because this is the big, big Switch release right here, probably the biggest Switch release of this year. Now, lastly, going back to this and kind of wrapping this up, Wololo says, Lockpick RCM isn't itself directly a problem. The people sharing keys acquired with it are, but it's arguably easier, legally speaking, for Nintendo to go after a clearly labeled target. Technically, this feels like a moot action, as it remains very easy to find those cryptography keys online, but that's not the only goal of the DMCA. This also sends a warning to scene developers and will have a chilling effect on many other projects. For example, the developers of Skyline, the Switch emulator for Android, have announced they will stop developing the emulator. Download links are still available, but development has basically stopped for Skyline. Popular emulators like Yuzu and Ryujinx are still going on, but have been quite strict about not mentioning Tears of the Kingdom in particular lately, which makes sense right there. So this has been definitely disappointing to see overall. Uh, I am wondering in regards to getting keys on higher firmwares, what will be coming of this? Uh, and we just don't know at that point. I believe right now the latest firmware is 16.0.3, and I believe the last version of Lockpick RCM does work with it. I think. I believe so. 
Uh, I just know there weren't any updates that were released for 16.0.1 or 16.0.2, uh, but when we see another big update, I, I guess we'll just have to see what happens with that. So that is not the end of this story here. No, 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 no. At this point, this is pretty funny, especially that this is the day that Tears of the Kingdom ended up releasing here when this news was posted from Wololo. Now, Lockpick RCM seems to be gone, but as it says here, DMCA tool Lockpick RCM resurfaces as pick lock RCM. Reading off the article, we mentioned the other day that some homebrew tools for the Switch hacking scene, in particular Lockpick RCM, have been under DMCA attacks, possibly by Nintendo, although that part still remains unclear, and I know we'll talk about this here later. This has resulted into some of these tools being taken down by GitHub earlier this week. Now, Picklog RCM GitHub repository saying here this Switch hacking scene is fighting back, with in particular some folks resurfacing forks of Lockpick RCM under new names. One that has risen to attention is Picklog RCM, a form of Lockpick RCM by developer Slux. In an act of defiance, Slux has added a few snarky comments, in particular with a commit stating, you ain't taking this down, and a release entitled, DMCA Fix. I think it's well put here where they say that this doesn't mean the future development of Lockpick RCM or its clones is guaranteed, as the original Lockpick developer, I believe, I've never said this out loud, but Shmoo? We'll give that a try. Shmoo hasn't made any statement on the matter so far, to my knowledge, which that seems to be accurate. I haven't seen anything from them. Whether people who have cloned the code and released it, such as Picklock RCM, are willing and able to update the tool remains to be seen. And that's going to be the important thing here for sure. Uh, now, they're saying here it is also unclear whether DMCA notices actually came from Nintendo. Some people on Twitter have claimed they impersonated Nintendo's legal team in order to send DMCA notices to GitHub recently. There's of course no easy way to verify that kind of claim, but if Nintendo was behind the lockpick RCM DMCA, no doubt that Picklock's lifespan will be short. Now, this tweet had gotten some traction here with this person essentially saying that here, if you got DMCA'd last week, it was most likely me and the two dozen emails I sent to marketly.llc. Now, a lot of people were taking this at kind of mistaken face value here, and I just want to kind of clear this up. It's not like this makes it really better, but it would just be a little more accurate. Accurate. A lot of people were thinking that this person here ended up putting in DMCA takedowns on behalf of Nintendo fraudulently here, but from what I can tell, that isn't the case. It seems like they're saying here they ended up sending a lot of emails about Lockpick and all these other repositories to this company, Marketly LLC. When looking them up, it seems like they are a company which handles copyright takedown notices on behalf of other companies. Similar to years ago here on YouTube, there were several 3DS videos that got copyright strikes by the BAF, or Belgian Anti-Piracy Federation. Now, that of course was not Nintendo, but that was an entity that was acting on behalf of Nintendo. So it seems like that's what Marketly is doing here when they got notified. However, looking at this here with regards to Picklock RCM, we can take a look at the GitHub repository. And looking at this here right now, it is currently up, at least at the time of recording this, and it looks pretty similar, pretty damn similar to Lockpick RCM. Uh, I don't, I mean, it says here that this was originally made by Shmoo, and of course, any references to Lockpick have been replaced by Picklock. However, here, for example, due to changes imposed by Firmware 700, 
Picklock Homebrew can no longer derive the latest keys in the boot time environment. However, there is no such limitation. So I say that here because that did happen starting on this one. There was Lockpick and Lockpick RCM. And starting here, uh, Lockpick, the original one, was no longer able to get the latest keys. So I think what they did is, it seems like to me, they probably just ended up taking the readme here and just did a find and replace, and they changed any references of Lockpick over to Picklock. <laughs> Um, here as well, too, we can also look at the releases. And, of course, right here, it says works with 16.0.2. And uh, here we go, Picklock RCM. So this is the first one. So cool to see overall. <laughs> now, in some positive Nintendo news in regards to modding here, Greg over from Laser Bear Industries ended up showing a little something here for the GameCube. Now, for anyone who does not know the original GameCube, it has this jewel up on the top of it, and you can actually pop that out pretty easily. I know some people, such as friend of the channel here, Rocker Gaming, he makes his own jewels, and you can pop out the old one, install a new one. Uh, of course, even if you want to keep the original, you can buff it out real nice to get rid of all those scratches and scuffs and all that. However, this is something here where he was saying GameCubes are going to be even more amazing soon. Still a lot of work ahead. The settings menu is getting filled out and linked to the features. And some people might be wondering, settings menu, what's going on? Let's go ahead and click and watch this video here and check this out. I don't know all too much about it here, but it looks like, yeah, LB Jewel settings menu. You're able to enable Wi-Fi, game ID, and a custom logo. Uh, it looks like you can update this if you connect to Wi-Fi, of course. You can FTP into this as well, too, and there's even a slideshow that you can do and then start the display. So this is an actual screen right here. It does have network capabilities in it, and uh, it's also a touch screen. Like, this is crazy to see. Oh, and then here, looks like if you want to update it, you can do an over-the-air update. So if you connect it to your Wi-Fi, you're able to do that. I know we've seen that with a few, you know, devices that are out there. So that's possible. And then you can just do a SD update. Close out of that. I don't know if there's actual SD card slot on this. And then you can, you know, start and stop your FTP server and go back to the display and you could have your images display here so i don't know what exactly this is called yet we don't know how much it's going to be like how much it will cost but this is really cool to see and lastly i like to round these out at the end here with something that i found cool interesting funny uh, just crazy to see in the world of modding or that might be related to it here. And this is from Twitter user John Lay, where this is actually from last month in April, but he said, Proud to release a complete port of Zelda's Adventure for the Game Boy. Zelda's Forgotten CDI game is now available to download, made with GB Studio and music composed by Beatscribe Music. So just looking at this about one minute trailer here, you can see that, yeah, this was uh, Zelda's Adventure here on the CDI, but now it's been ported over to the Game Boy, which in my opinion, this here is looking better. <laughs> this is really cool. I'm liking this. Uh, and even Oh, and here's even some good comparison. So you see this here on the, uh, well, on the left, we have the CDI version. On the right, we have the Game Boy. I, I, I like the charm of the Game Boy version more. That's really cool. Uh, we could even check this out on itch.io. And checking this out here, Zelda's Adventure, uh, you could even... Wow, okay, the ROM, which I mean, this is his own ROM here, but the ROM and the emulator is actually baked into the website itself, so you can just click on this and play it. And you could even download this here 
just checking this out, we have all the controls. Uh, it has a little bit of information, which I'll even read this here, saying, uh, It is the Age of Darkness. The evil Ganon has captured the young hero Link. Only Princess Zelda can rescue him. His journey will be difficult, filled with many challenges and mysteries. Armed with only the advice of the wise court astronomer Gaspra and the guidance of Shermalk, Zelda must set out on her journey deep into the uncharted southeastern region of Hyrule known as Tolomok. So, cool to see here. Uh, of course, you know, it's saying here, oh, there's two versions. You can get the actual Game Boy ROM, or you can get the Pocket version of this here, uh, like a version actually composed for the Pocket. Uh, but even so, uh, the background, just checking this, in the 1990s, Nintendo made a deal with Philips to develop three Zelda titles. The first two were side-scrolling platformers, similar to Zelda 2, and the third was a traditional top-down ad action-adventure game. Zelda's adventure looked interesting, and I thought it would be fun to play on a portable system. I chose the Game Boy, because of the existing Zelda games on the system. The game sticks to the aesthetics of A Link's Awakening, but also incorporates some features from Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. This is a complete port of the CDI original and was developed in GB Studio with a few modifications, thanks to Beatscribe for composing the music. I hope you enjoy playing this game as much as I enjoyed making it. And let's see, it is still getting uh, regularly updated and such, and of course you can name your own price as well too, if you want to give this a purchase, just donate to the developer. But again, it comes with two versions, the actual Game Boy ROM and the Pop version here so super awesome to see anyways that is about it for this episode of mod chat i hope you all enjoyed hanging out this episode whether you were checking this out audio only or visual however you're consuming it i hope it was enjoyable i hope it was entertaining i hope you got to learn something as well too now typically at the end of these episodes here i like to do something where for anybody who comes here to the end i like to pick a keyword or a key phrase uh, just to see who has made it to the end of these episodes and typically i usually kind of grab something random off my desk or maybe even something related to this but i've kind of noticed that lily in the background right there she has just been really smiling up a storm uh so how about that we're going to use this here if you use the word smile in your comment on the upload of this video i'll know that you've made it to the end and if you are listening in audio only don't worry you can come to any of the video uploads of this and use the word smile and as long as you use that keyword i'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. Thank you very much for listening, watching, tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, a like would absolutely be appreciated. If you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well, too. Anyways, with that all being said, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next episode.